0: Suburbs of the thriving metropolis that is Des Moines, Iowa, welcome to Chat Em Up. Each week, PCA brings an entertaining look at the recent happenings, along with stories, conversations with guests, and more. And now, here he is. He's Iowa's ninth favorite son. It's David C. Henderson! My guests this week have taken the podcast world by storm.
1: They are quickly earning the reputation as the most knowledgeable experts when it comes to the pro wrestling trading card game their tremendous podcast the card foundation podcast drops every friday on all major platforms please say hello to danny tancredi john Tancredi, and the anchor of the
0: staff papa bear paul fellas what's happening <laughs> what's up what's up, guys? What's going on Actually, hey, that's you for an introduction us. right there that's right right i love that introduction
1: <laughs> the anchor yeah that's that's your new nickname
0: no i first of all I'm,
1: I'm so excited to have you guys on i appreciate you doing it um I am all in on the Card Foundation podcast. I'm a day one subscriber, and I'm a day one subscriber without even really being into the wrestling card game at the time. You three have sucked me in, and you've pulled me down this rabbit hole. I have spent an unre- uh, an unreal amount of money on wrestling <laughs> cards in the last month. And we're on Zoom, so the people that are listening can't see us, but I'm pointing at each and every one of you. <laughs> you three are specifically responsible for me basically making a mortgage payment to buy some wrestling cards. So shame on all of you. It'll be worth it in the long run. Well, the goal is to take that mortgage payment and turn
2: it into, you know, two or three mortgage payments. So we're hoping that eventually some of the advice that we give you guys can turn it into that.
0: I want you to have a place down in Florida with the... Uh you flipping these wrestling cards <laughs> later in life. Huh? I want a nice little spot for you down down in Disney. I tell you what, man, I'm getting ready to pay for college tuition, so it's like, ooh, wrestling cards,
1: college tuition, why not both? Well, I think that's the good <laughs> thing about
3: our show is that it's you could invest in you go big game hunting and you could go for some top-notch cards that could really get some long-term value or you could play the short game. You could find a couple good cards that, you know, less than 5, 10, 15 bucks and if you play it
1: right and you get a good grade back from PSA, you can turn it into good money. And we're going to talk about exactly. all this. So when we talk about PSA and, and everything, so again, I'm I'm taking this from the angle that the majority of people listening don't have the faintest idea about how to even get in the card game. People talk about grading now and what's a PSA and what's a 10 and gem. mint, And we're going to talk about all that. But before we talk about that, Again, I introduced all three of you individually, but let's take just a moment or two and let's talk about each of you individually. So let's let the listeners in on who our guests are this week. So like I said, we've got uh, we've got three of my favorite dudes. We've got the Tancredi brothers. We've got Danny. We've got John. And again, we've got the anchor, Papa Bear Paul. I came to know all three of you through the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. And obviously got to know Danny and John through their excellent sister podcast, Caught Looking, which focuses specifically on baseball cards and baseball memorabilia. And we'll talk about that. But Danny, tell us a little bit about you, your background, your collecting background, and how you kind of fell into the collecting game. Yeah, so I I grew up a avid
3: sports fan in all aspects of life, whether it was Baseball was my first one true love, and that kind of went into basketball and football and wrestling. And it was always it's and it still is. It's like the number one thing in my life. Just don't tell my fiance that because she'll be pissed off. So I've been collecting for a long time, whether it's wrestling action figures and then cards. My earliest memories are going to malls and hobby stores and just ripping open packs, seeing what I could get and just be excited to collect my favorite players. So along with that, also being a baseball player and playing little league and high school and college, it was always my dream to get to the majors. And obviously that doesn't work out, but the closest thing I could get to the majors is collecting cards and watching games. So it's been, you know, my, my foundation since the beginning, and I'm going to continue to do this for as long as I can. So.
1: Excellent. Thank you, man. Uh, John, you are the shoot brother of Danny. Which one of you is older? So I'm older. Uh,
2: I'm 30 and Danny is 27, just uh, almost 27. I'm the more handsome one, too. So, yeah, so we obviously <laughs> we are both uh, we brothers grew up on Long Island, New York. And like Danny said, we grew up in the sports world, collecting mostly baseball in the beginning and then eventually basketball, football, as our interests uh, came into other teams and other sports. Uh, wrestling was right always in the middle of that. We started watching wrestling probably like 1997, 98. I remember telling other people that, you know, my first pay-per-view that I ever saw was Star- WCW Starrcade 97, which was Sting versus Hulk Hogan. And that really set off my love for professional wrestling. And then with that love of watching it came, of course, the love of collectibles, toys, cards, because it's kind of been a... Almost like, a, like Danny said, a foundation of our life where whatever we end up loving, we always try to find something that we can collect with it. So with baseball, we love the Mets. And if you listen to caught looking, you definitely know that. Um, so with the, our f- love of the Mets came our love of Mets trading cards and memorabilia. So that really kind of followed us throughout our, our childhood into our you know adolescence and as adults and Here we are now Uh, caught looking started uh, first before the card foundation. And that show is now a little over a year old. And I guess a couple months ago, we decided to start the card foundation to basically take the love of our trading card collection for pro wrestling and just do the same thing that we're doing with caught looking is talking about our collections and what's going on within the hobby. And um, we really want it to be more like a community where we could talk about what we're collecting and, make it more fun as opposed to, you know, strictly just news and you know, updates and stuff like
1: that. Sounds good, man. Thank you for that. And of course the anchor of the card foundation podcast,
3: Craig Kimbrell coming in
1: to close out the ninth. Look at this guy. What a, what a handsome <laughs> son of a buck. He is Papa like
0: Mo what's going on guys. Uh, my claim to fame is uh, Brian Myers being my best friend is pretty much the claim to fame. And then, <laughs> That's pretty much anything more about me. We grew up together, me and Brian. I love baseball all my life. I was a big baseball you know, player, a little bit better than Danny, obviously. A little bit older <laughs> than Danny. And um, I collected baseball cards my whole life. I collected with Brian. I used to go to the card shows. We probably were at some of the same card shows in Long Island at the flea market. Yes. Slanging, yep. slanging slabs, buying. And uh big into writing. I was actually big into, I don't know if I said this, big into writing the baseball players, writing them notes and writing them letters, and they would send send me back autographs, and I thought that was actually a lot of fun. And then, slowly, and I, you know, fell out of it when you get a little bit older, fell fall out of collecting. And then this ma- this major podcast really kind of drew me back into collecting. I wasn't collecting anything, but this I listened to Brian's podcast, and all everybody did was collect stuff. And I was like, alright. And then, I saw a card break and I started getting back into baseball card collecting. And then that switched over to wrestling card collecting. And that's really my focus all is right now. I really don't even, even mess with baseball cards anymore. I'm just waiting for them to get back from PSA. And now I'm really dove into the reason I was late to this podcast is because I was, I've run down a rabbit hole of looking what my cards are coming back from PSA for wrestling cards. So <laughs> yeah, I'm really uh, <laughs> diving head first into wrestling card collecting. And, uh, I'm from Long Island. That's pretty much it. That's all you need to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Bear, I want to back up. There's there's one thing you mentioned
1: that I want to talk to you, to you and, and to the Tancredis about. So you mentioned when you were younger, basically writing baseball players through the mail, collecting autographs through the mail. I also, as a, as a young man, did that. Uh, big Chicago Cubs fan. So, of course, all the guys that I wrote to were Cubs players. The first player that I got a response back from was Andre Dawson and wow. was the coolest thing as an 11 year old kid to get this self-addressed stamped envelope back in the mail. That's in my handwriting with the return address of you know, a Dawson 1060 West Addison and open the envelope and, and there it is. The the 90 score baseball card signed in in beautiful uh, fine tip blue Sharpie. I still have wow. it to this day. That's my first autograph. So Paul, do you remember
0: who were some of the guys that you wrote to as a kid? And do you remember who the first one you got back was? I don't know if it was the first one, but one I remember very vividly, which Brian also got back, was Turk Wendo, who's like Brian's friend right now. <laughs> and it was like one of the nicest autographs I've ever seen in my life. And it was like an 8 by 10 I know he was... One that I got back, I remember Chipper Jones was sending stuff back, but I think they were facsimile autographs. Those, when you're sending them in, you weren't sure if they were real or not real. So you'd be staring at them for a while, trying to figure out if they are a real autograph or not real autograph. But I know Chipper Jones sent some back. I want to see Wayne Gretzky actually sent back an autograph. I want to say I actually got one back from him. But most of the players really sent sent the stuff back. One of my favorite autographs, well, actually not one of my favorite moments of all time, is when I actually got to meet Wade Boggs. And that's because of uh, Brian in WrestleMania. He was actually, Wade Box was best friends with Mr. Perfect. And the year he got inducted to the Hall of Fame, Brian brought me to that WrestleMania. And I remember at the bar having a few beverages. And I go, holy, I have 300 of Wade Box cards right now. If I could show you, if I had time on Zoom, I'd show you 300. I collected him as a kid. It's like, is that Wade Boggs? And Brian's like, you got to go up and say, What up to him. And I uh, went up to him, had a few drinks and uh, brothered out with him all night. And uh, took a few pictures of him and he was wearing his 96 world series ring too. He yeah. said to me, I was like, damn, you're wearing the championship ring. He's like, if you got it, brother. You flaunt it. it was, <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of my favorite memories, uh, especially with Brian meeting Wade Boggs. And uh, yeah, that's just another memory. I just popped into my head about collecting and people you collect and coming full circle. Yeah.
1: It's, it's amazing. So Danny, John, you guys ever go through the, the, through the mail route, do you ever write to any players either back in the day or as an adult? Honestly, no. Um, it's something that I never did. And
2: I, and I don't know if Danny ever ended up doing it, you know, as a teenager or anything, but it was something that like, we always collected autographs from going to games. So our, we all, our family always had season tickets in some capacity to the Mets. So we went to a ton of games growing up and Our thing was always bringing a baseball or a card or a yearbook or something to the games. We'd always get there as soon as the gates opened up, rush down to the field level. And that's how we got our first couple of autographs. I know we've met David Wright that way. We met Jose Reyes that way. Um, We got really lucky just growing up and being able to go to as many games as we did. But it's funny, actually talking to one of your uh, former guests, who's a friend of mine, Johnny Clash. He actually told me a story about, how he obtained the Derek Jeter autograph. And it was through the mail. And it was something that I never even thought of. And it was until actually I spoke to him about it that I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, same with me. It's I never even
3: It never dawned on me to try to send anything through the mail just because obviously being a kid, not understanding how that all works, and then also taking the risk of sending something in that odds are I didn't think I was going to get back. So it was always going to the games and just, running down to the first rail of BP and just seeing who you could try to meet, you know, it would, you would have your book out trying to figure out which player is which number, just because when you're so young, you don't realize who is who just off of the face. So uh, like Johnny mentioned, David Wright, Jose Reyes were two big ones, but my actual all time favorite was Tory Hunter of the Minnesota twins. So we met Tory Hunter in Baltimore at an Orioles game, just because we, we love to stadium hop and try to go to as many stadiums as we can. So Tori Hunter is I'm all by myself down third baseline with him. And we're just talking, we're talking about baseball. I'm asking him questions about me playing and mechanics and different things, trying to get myself better. And, and well, he's just like, all right, well, let's do a little handshake. And we came up with like a cool little handshake, you know, we're just BSing the whole time and he couldn't have been any nicer. So things like that always stuck out to me as those are the type of players that you'll always remember. Just because they're they're so nice. They're so giving back to their fans. And those are stories that one day I could pass on to my kids. And hopefully they get the same exact stories.
1: Yeah, that's tremendous. I tell you what. I can't wait till this whole pandemic is. I don't know if it's ever going to be over. But to a point where we can start to to get back to normal. Because I got to get to New York during baseball season. I would love to go. I don't care if it's the Mets. The Yankees, the freaking Long Island Ducks, I don't care. (laughs) We just need to go sit at a ballpark, have a few brews, swap some of these stories, because, and I'm going to save this just for you guys when we finally make this happen. I have a phenomenal story about A-Rod. Before he went, you know, Uh, Hollywood and blew up, you know, this is like 1999 A-Rod. Best story you've ever heard, but I'm going to save it for you guys. The funny um, thing
3: is I actually, I have a counter story for you from a fellow major leaguer that used to train me. So okay. I'm not going to put it out there just because I don't know who's listening and how this could get around, but yep. we'll save it for, for over a brew and, uh, and a ball game.
0: All right, let's do it. Well, I have a story about JLo and me, so I'll save <laughs> that one for you guys as well. But can you tell yeah, that I'll one on the air? It Cause, cause it I would love now. to <laughs> hear that right now. We no, can't I'll tell that. She'll on get pissed. Okay. okay. get all pissed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Paul signed a, a, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, so we we can't talk about <laughs> it anyway. But we're here to talk about wrestling trading cards. And obviously, to talk about wrestling trading cards, generally speaking, you probably would be interested in those because you're a fan of wrestling. For me growing up, I fell in love with wrestling because of Hulk Hogan, which I know is, is Johnny's favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, from here card we foundation. Go. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the Hulkster is who got me into pro wrestling. So I want to take a little bit of time here and ask you three, who were the wrestlers or wrestler that when you discovered what pro wrestling was that, that really hooked you and and, and captivated you and, and made you into the fan that you became?
2: Uh, well, I guess I'll start um, in 1998, when I was really, really just starting to get into everything, it's kind of hard being eight or nine years old and not loving what you're seeing on from Stone Cold Steve Austin every week. So I really think that he was the one that captivated me from the beginning. I would say Stone Cold Steve Austin and on the other channel, it was the NWO. I thought the NWO was the coolest thing in the world. Just it was like one big gang walking around and they just dominated everything. And um, those are the, the two I would say Stone Cold Steve Austin and the NWO were responsible for me really getting into wrestling as Hardcore as I did, but I would say my favorite wrestler would eventually become Bret Hart. Once I started to really get more into into wrestling and appreciate, you know, a good match. And, uh, you know, I know what Zack Ryder calls a uh, work rate match or a Mac Cardona. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was really the, in my opinion, the best technical wrestler. He was great on the mic. And he was just someone that made me fall in love with wrestling from like an art standpoint, not, not just something that I turned on every Monday night. So I guess in that order, it would be Stone Cold Steve Austin. NWO got me in and Bret Hart kind of kept me there. My guy
3: was always Dwayne the Rock Johnson from day one, as early as I could remember. I just, he had such that, such of that larger than life persona. You know, he comes to the ring. He's got his Versace shirts on the sunglasses, He's just he was just so cool. And, you know, you got the people's elbow, the rock bottom, all the different catchphrases that he had. It was just it was hard not to like him, even when, you know, I'll say a heel or a bad guy. Even when he was bad, I would just I would still obsess over the rock and just wear his T-shirts every day and play with his action figure every day. And it was nonstop. And even having his birthday cake, you know, with his face on it, that was just that was my guy. And anytime he would lose, you know, I'm four or five years old at the time, I'm hysterically crying and getting all pissed off because odds are stone cold was beating him. So then I got Johnny rubbing it in my face and that made for some, I would say living room wrestling matches back in the late nineties.
0: Oh, for sure. So I'm a little bit older. So I, I know I remember I liked Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon and Bret Hart. But then when I got older, I loved the rock stone cold and DX. that's, me really just throwing sockets everywhere and (laughs) throwing middle fingers everywhere. Stone cold where I was in middle school, going into high school, those were like the rock and stone cold years for me in the DX years. So that's, those were probably my all time favorite is gotta be stone cold. But, uh, I also did appreciate, uh, the work rate matches of, uh, Michaels and Bret Hart, but I like a good promo any day better than those. So, Throw me a few suckets and oh, hell yes, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, I wasn't a match guy at all.
3: I, I really didn't yeah. care about, you know, the the actual quality of a match. All I cared about was did The Rock win or did some of my other favorites win? And I always used to watch like those best of VHSs. So like the best of the 97 WWF. So it's like it was more nostalgic about the moments that happened as opposed to like the quality of match itself. Yeah, I agree.
0: Throw some chairs in there. Get some all oh, hell breaking loose. I don't need to hear, see the work rate. Right? Let me hear the promo. Let me see somebody hit with a chair. <laughs> Let me see who wins. That's. <laughs> and throw a socket out there.
1: So when we talk about collecting and obviously collecting wrestling cards. So when you're growing up and you're discovering pro wrestling. And I have the benefit that I'm older than all of you. So that automatically makes me the old guy the first wrestling card product that I can remember buying a pack of in the store opening were the 87 tops, the WWF set that had those WrestleMania three cards. And I just remember, you know, buying that pack. I think it was like 35 cents at the time and, and ripping the pack open and going through the cards and they would have those WrestleMania three themed insert cards. And I remember getting the, the card, you know, the giant is slammed. That's the picture of, of Hogan slamming the giant. And, you know, I'm, I'm seven, eight years old at the time, and I'm standing there, and I'm holding this card, and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I have a trading card of the biggest match of all time, my favorite match of all time, my favorite wrestler. And as I've now gone back and started recollecting these cards, those older vintage cards, for me, they hit me in the feels, like. Every time as I'm just looking at them and I'm looking at the back and remember the, the different things that are written on them, it just, it takes me back. So that was my first introduction specifically to the wrestling trading card game in terms of collecting. Again, I have the, the, the benefit, if we'll call it that, of being a little older than you gentlemen. What do you all remember as being that introduction into the wrestling card game for you, both as a collector and really now, as we'll talk about later on, as potentially as an investor?
0: And since I'm the second oldest, I'll go what I remember. I remember the <laughs> 91 classic, the blue, the blue backgrounds with the Undertaker's rookie. I actually remember that Undertaker. rookie. Card. I remember it being in one of my dad's books and just looking through it. So I remember those cards as kind of the first wrestling cards I've ever seen with the big blue borders. And then the next, my next memory of that would be uh, the 97 Cardinal game and not collecting those cards. Like I was a normal person, I would just play the game, but playing that game with Brian. And I, Brian would be on level five, like the hardest questions, like who walked out, I don't know, Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania Seven, or like crazy hard questions. I would never know the answers to And he would know the answer to them. And then he'd ask me like basic ass questions. I would like, who's, name the Legion of Doom, I wouldn't even be able to do it. So that's what I remember. <laughs> I go from the 91 Classic to the 97 Cardinal game are my first two memories of uh, wrestling cards and wrestling collectibles, I would say.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say the 97 Cardinal game too. I know Danny's going to love that. But I remember <laughs> the 97 Cardinal game and and I don't even know if we even played because when that card game came out again, I'm seven years old. Danny was like three or four years old. So we weren't playing the game you know, as like a strategic board game, we were really just into the cards and looking at the people and, you know, they were probably all destroyed and bent and colored on and whatever. And then there were a couple of different sets. Like I remember the WrestleMania 14, like trading card, like the jumbo trading card set. Um, and then I remember some stuff like later in the, I guess the later 2000s. Um, but it really wasn't until I would say a couple of years ago, probably like 2015 2016 that that was there was a break for me in cr- collecting wrestling cards specifically the figures were kind of always there memorabilia was kind of always there uh, definitely t-shirts and stuff like that but cards i would say probably then again in like 2015 with like tops heritage um, i remember buying a couple of those packs and i actually pulled a an undertaker autographed card and that was it for me i was all in at that point and it's been wrestling cards ever since yeah, for me to round it out, it was it wasn't actually even cards, it was action figures.
3: I was obsessed with bone crunching action figures and, and late 90s jacks. And I think for me it wasn't necessarily a set with trading cards. Obviously, the 97 Cardinal and the 98 Cardinal were just were so big because that's what we were just used to accustomed to seeing and going through and looking at pictures of our favorite superstars. But for me, it was almost like going to the mall and our parents giving us a few bucks and figuring out what I could get with the cash. So if my mom just happened to give me 10 bucks, it would be, all right, you know, this wrestling set. All right. Some of these packs are a dollar each. I could get five or six of them. And then with the leftover, I could balance it out with getting a couple baseball packs. So it was kind of just strategically knowing, all right, what am I in the mood for? What do I really want to try to get? And it depends on the time too. If, you know, baseball season was kicking around, I was probably buying only baseball or if basketball season was around, I would buy basketball. And then some days you have your mix and match. You got Pokemon and wrestling and it was just whatever I could get my hands on.
1: So as we talk about that first foray into wrestling card collecting, obviously now we fast forward a decade, maybe two. Who knows? What is your wrestling collecting style now in terms of cards and maybe even, you know, we'll, we'll open it up to memorabilia as well, because you mentioned figures. So obviously as a kid, like you said, you've got a limited amount of money and you have to be strategic in what you can get. Now, as an adult, you still kind of have a limited amount of money. Hmm. You can't, you know, you can't go super crazy, but in, in terms of how has your, each of your collecting styles changed? from when you first jumped in till now and what i mean by that is are you focusing more are you buying hobby boxes are you focusing on auto cards relics rookie cards so for each of you individually where are you putting those collecting dollars towards i mean
2: funny enough i'm probably collecting the same way that i did when i was like 10 years old in terms of even <laughs> how much i spend and you know if you listen to the card foundation episodes you definitely get that that, that dynamic of You know, Danny and Paul, who are the investor versus Johnny, who's, you know, the value collector or just, you know, like the collector. And, you know, Paul's always ragging on me about, you know, what I have in my box and it's time to get it slabbed at PSA and Hmm. all that. But I would say, you know, I'm really into collecting both stuff that I collected when I was a kid as like a nostalgic, just straight up. I don't care how much it's worth. I love having the feeling of having stuff I had when I was a kid. And just different kind of quirky, you know, wrestlers that I collect, like, I, cl- I don't collect just people that are valuable. You know, I, one of the, one of my main PC guys or personal collection uh, guys is Brian Pillman. You know, it's somebody who isn't necessarily worth a lot on the secondary market. You know, it's not like he has a lot of new cards coming out now, or, you know, certainly obviously no autographs or anything like that, but he was one of my favorite wrestlers. And I just try to get one of each of the cards that Tops or whoever has put out over the years. It's not something that I'm going to cash in in one day and send my kid to college with. But I would say it's just something that I love collecting. Now, after starting this podcast, I would say I definitely started to change a little bit and jump on the bandwagon that Danny and Paul started jumping on. Because it really is hard to you know, look at some of these cards that are 5, 10, 15 bucks and pass up on them when you start seeing them resell for in the hundreds of dollars. So I'm finding myself now looking at stuff a little differently than I did even a couple months ago, where I'll look at, say, a Roman Reigns card and say, okay, this might have some value you know, in 10, 15 years. If he ends up having a similar career path to like The Rock, these $30, $40 cards could be 300 or 400 within the next couple of years. So I would say that's kind of where I'm at right now.
3: i I'm going to say I'm an utter disaster when it comes to selecting what I try to collect. Usually it's predicated off of current products that are coming out in the moment. So, you know, if WWE tops finest was coming out this weekend, it's doing my research on the checklist to see who I really want to go after figuring out what the price of that hobby box is going to be. And then deciding I'm either going to buy or I'm going to pass. If I pass, I like to wait for the product to come out for about a week or two to see what breaks into the market and what some of those prices are looking like. So if I find that a lot of the singles that are breaking the secondary market are selling really high, I'll go back to buy the box. Cause then I know it's not really a greater of a risk. I have a better chance to do well to at least, you know, try to get my money back or or close to it. After that, it's again, it's, it's kind of like the time of year. So when baseball spring training kicks around, I start going crazy for baseball. I start figuring out statistics in spring training who I'm watching, who I think is going to be worth growing over some time. So last year, I was big, you're a Cubs fan, with Nico Horner. You know, I'm watching him, and he's playing well, and he's young, and he's a guy that, all right, I'm going to throw a couple bucks into this guy, get a bunch of his cards, and hoping for the chance that he blows up. So like I like taking those low-risk, high-reward approaches, and sometimes if a guy I feel like is really worth it, and his cards could be in the hundreds, I'll, I'll go for it and give it a shot.
0: Yeah, I'm, I like those low risk, high rewards. I kind of go down different rabbit holes and take what Danny says sometimes. Seriously, I found myself buying like one card of somebody. Like, like let's say it was a, a numbered rock card. I'd buy one and that's going to get graded. And then I'm like, when's the right time to sell this card? Now I only have one. So say I sell it for $100. Well, I only sell it for $100. So Now I find myself buying multiples of the same card, or same product where I have multiple options so if they grade high I could keep one and flip one I'm big into the rookie card collecting I when I started started with baseball I started getting back into baseball so rookie cards is where it's all at either rookie cards or Mike Trout and there's nothing really in between I thought I thought why don't we transfer this (laughs) over to to wrestling where people aren't really doing that people really weren't going after the rookie card so I really dove headfirst into Rhea Ripley I thought she was gonna be a big star before she won the championship spoiler alert she won the championship at WrestleMania. So, <laughs> so I dove into her. Yeah, I dove I dove into her head first. Good look. Good looking girl. Cut a promo strong. I go, man, I should buy a lot of her rookie cards. I was buying them for dollar to $2 for rookie cards. Now they're probably not. Maybe up to like $5. But if she has an amazing career like some of these other females, it could go even higher and higher. So I really found myself buying, investing, something I go, I like, like right now, I don't even want to say, it, but I, I'm big into Stone Cold right now. Um, I, I really, uh, he's he's awesome. Not, I feel like he's lower end. People aren't really collecting him like they're collecting The Rock. And it's the only amount of time they come around to Stone Cold. So I'm not just gonna go buy one Stone Cold card. I'm probably gonna buy like ten to fifteen, just so I have a, a good amount. And when it comes down the road to sell them later, I could sell a few without feeling bad about myself. Like, oh, I have at least I have three of these. I sell one. And the next year it goes up $200. I still have a second or a third one. So I'm big into value collecting and, you know, kind of, I like buying, uh, you know, the diamond in the rough, buying real low where you turn a, a dollar card into a $300 card. There is, I see people that buy a $500 card and they turn it into like a, a $1,000 card where there's a little more money and more invest in there, but uh, you got to spend money to make money. So yeah, I like to buy a lot of the same person.
3: To kind of piggyback that, I like to follow the rule of third, which is a good good little advice piece for either new collectors or someone that is playing the invested game. You can't go wrong with three of the same card because you got one that if you love that card and you want to collect it, you could keep it forever. No worries. The second one, you could get graded. You could use that as your long-term piece that if a card all of a sudden blows up, becomes a $500 card, you could sell now. And your third, that's when you sell that card and it becomes an $1,000 card. So now you have that kind of leftover where, all right, I'm not missing an opportunity from that $500 to $1,000 growth, and you could play it safe. So the rule of third, you can't go wrong.
0: You need to follow that rule.
3: <laughs> I, I know, I do. Sometimes I, just, I get excited with trying to grab as much different as I can. So like, for example, I'll go collect Adam Cole, and I'll, I'll be like, all right, I really want this card. And then I get his auto card, and then from there it's like, you know, whoa, the Miz did something on TV. I got to go get that Miz card. And it's just bouncing back and forth and all over the place. So it's the same as it was when I was six, seven, eight years old and same as it is today.
1: All right, fellas, let's talk about the boom. So this boom hit last year as the pandemic unfolded. Specifically, I want to talk to you guys about the just astronomical skyrocketing price and value of the vintage wrestling cards the the 80s the 90s because that's that's my wheelhouse that that's where i'm at and these cards so when we talk about specific cards we talk about you know 87 tops 85 tops 91 classic 90 classic things like that a year ago these cards were virtually worthless literally they they were virtually worthless and now I'm spending a car payment to get a sealed box of these WWF classic sets. What happened? Where did this come from? And I guess I, in my simple mind, I equate it to, well, this happened because of the pandemic. People were stuck in their houses. They were bored. They had extra money. Hey, I'm going to go back and and I'm going to get into this. But I'm curious because you guys are way more plugged into this than I am. Was this thing bubbling under the surface and it was just kind of a perfect storm with the pandemic happened, which then caused this domino effect to occur? Do you think that this collecting bubble that we're in right now, where the market is just going crazy, was it happening and we just didn't really know about it and it only became magnified because of the pandemic? Or no, your opinion, this is based solely on the pandemic. So.
2: I guess I'll kick it off a little bit with where we were, you know, a year plus ago, and I wouldn't say it. You know, it's interesting. It was it sort of was bubbling in a way, not maybe not necessarily for wrestling cards, but certainly for other aspects of the hobby. So there were players that were coming up over the last you know five, six, seven years that would generate that sort of buzz that you know, $1,000 card or, you know, it was the, the card that was featured in the news, you know, Mike Trout was still Mike Trout. He was selling for a lot, you know, then you had, you know, Ronald Acuna and um, different rookies coming up within basketball, like uh, Jason Tatum and Alonzo uh, ball and guys like that. And there was always a, you know, one or two guys every single year that would generate that buzz, but you know, prices for hobby boxes and blaster boxes and retail would, Pretty much hover around the same price. You could still get stuff at Target and Walmart. You could still go to your local card shop, not spend an arm and a leg on a hobby box. And it was still affordable. So then the pandemic happens. And basically, from what we've understood, just from talking to people, both you know, starting the Card Foundation podcast as well as Caught Looking, because Caught Looking started just as the pandemic hit. So it was not it was a tough time for a podcast about card collecting to start when you couldn't get any of the product. And that's how we really started to notice that things were really reaching a point that we haven't seen before. And I like to attribute it to basically like what you said, people were stuck at home. They had nothing to do. The the stock market was unstable. And I think people were nervous at the current state of the world. And they decided to pull some of their money out of untangible things that they couldn't control and started to invest into things that they could control baseball cards jewelry cars stuff like that and it basically spiraled out of control and now you're at the point where target and walmart it's impossible to find anything baseball card related the local card stores and some of the online retailers are selling boxes of baseball cards for hundreds of dollars more than they were even two years ago. And it's really these investors and these group breakers and stuff like that that have come in and really just changed the whole market. And I know Danny and I have been collecting, you know, off and on, but for the mo- majority of the last 20 years, I'd say, and we have never seen anything like this. I mean, I would say that with, when it comes to card investing, card investing
3: has been around for a long time and you just don't even really think about it and realize it. I mean, in the late 80s, look at Ken Griffey Jr. He's a prime example of they overproduces cards. And that's where the junk wax era comes in. So that's a time period where in the late 80s, early 90s, things were so mass produced and there wasn't enough stars to really invest in. And, you know, cards become a waste in a sense. So we've seen it in hockey with Eric Lindros. He was a popular Rangers player that everyone invested into when he came to the National Hockey League. So. You could look. You could think of a million guys. Derek Jeter in the late '90s. Barry Bonds in the mid 2000s. It's always been around. It just never got to this extent. So, in my opinion, that happened with card grading. So, for any new collectors or non-collectors, card grading is essentially you get a card that you pull out of a pack. You send it into a grading service like a PSA or a BGS. They grade your card based off of four factors: the edges, the corners. The surface of the card and the centering, so they basically do a one to ten point scale and they average all those those four categories together, and you got your graded card. So, I think it just happened that people wanted cards in there in top condition, and I'm sure there's a lot of people right now thinking, well, if you pull a card out of a pack, it shouldn't be perfect every time, and that's not the case at all. You got machines cutting these cards. There's computer errors. There's you know packaging errors. So a lot of mistakes do happen where people want the cream of the crop to quote the macho man of their cards. So that's what I think grew in value was everyone coveted the PSA 10 rookie card of a particular athlete. You know, lately we've seen Zion Williamson in basketball take it to a a whole nother level that we've never seen. But it's, it's happening in other aspects in sports. It's happening in baseball with some of the guys Johnny named. Wrestling was kind of bubbling on the surface and just finally is starting to break through. I think it's because people realize that when they collect, it's really about the four major sports plus soccer and people are realizing, well, you know, I loved wrestling in the eighties and nineties and into the early two thousands with the attitude error. So now they want to go back and say, Hey, I have some of those cards and binders that I collected when I was a kid. I'm going to send some of these in. And now, you know, the, the rock Cardinal card is the perfect example. Everyone was going back to find that card and sending in, and when one card sells for a thousand bucks, all hell breaks loose. It's prison rules. Anything goes, and people start sending in everything that they got, and essentially in a year from now, they could be oversaturating the market. So, to me, grading was what elevated this to a whole nother level we've never seen, and who knows what's going to happen in the next five years. Things always change, so time is only going to tell.
2: Yeah, I mean, with wrestling, it was just really also establishing who some of those big names are and what people want, you know, who is the Mike Trout of the WWE or who is the Mickey Mantle of the WWE? And people were going back and saying, okay, well it's probably Hulk Hogan. It's the rock. It's stone cold. It's Ric Flair. You know, what are the, what are the cards? It's the you know, macho man. Who are the cards that people want of those people? You know, it's, and then they started going back and kind of determining based on what the market says, which cards of those people are the most popular. And then with like Danny said, once one sells for a thousand dollars, that's it. The floodgates are opened. You know, the the race has begun and now everyone's going back to their parents' house in the attic to see if they still have those cards from 30 years ago. And I like Danny, again, like what Danny said, I really think this is just the beginning.
0: Yeah. I think it all did start with the pandemic. That's how I got back into it. Friend showed me a card break, got into the card break. And now it's right in the beginning of the pandemic. It also has to do with timing where, I'm now old enough to go buy cards when I want to buy cards. I liked collecting as a kid. My dad would buy me the, the dollar, dollar fifty packs. Now I'm in my mid thirties now. I could if I want a pack of cards, I could go buy a pack of cards. If I want if I want a good card, I could go buy a good card. So now, like you said, it hits those nostalgia feelings. Like, what do I remember as a kid? What did I like to remember. Oh, I did like those 91 classic cards. So, like I, a year ago, I was like, Oh, I did like that 91 classic. That was like one of my first wrestling card collecting sets. Let me go buy a box of that. And I bought it for like 50 to 60 bucks at that point. And then that sent me down. One thing leads you to the next thing where I, Oh, the rock was my favorite. Oh, this rock Cardinal game sold for a thousand dollars card. I, I have, like I said, I have one of those cards. Let me go find that card. And if I take this card now, and it looks like this grading company, if I just send it to this grading company for $15, they'll grade it. If it comes back at 10, I just now turn this card. I had for free, spend $15 on it, shipping $20 into a thousand dollar card. And you think it's that simple which a lot of people do. Unfortunately, it's not, it's, it's a lot more goes into it. A lot more goes into, you know, the grading of the car. The car needs to be a 10, needs to be a nine. You're uh you're banged up colored Danny Tancredi, uh rock with Sharpie all over his face. Car is not going to get a PSA 10. That's cards worth nothing. But what are you to know? You don't really know. You just know if you send in a PSA, they it somehow looks pretty good to me, gets a good grade. I now have a thousand dollar card. So all the investors kind of saw that angle. So that, That's where half the market come in. And then one person tells another person, I'm into this, I'm into that. And then it just leads down. Brian wasn't really into collecting cards, but I showed him this. And next thing you know, he's collecting cards. And now Brian's collecting cards. He's Matt. Matt's somewhat getting into cards. Then Smart Mark's digging out uh, Beyond Wrestling cards with uh, MJF in it. Like, it just, it just, David C. Anderson sending me um, the raw, and sorry, Stone Cold Steve Austin (laughs) rookie cards that get graded. Never even spoke to him before this. Now I'm grading this. it just, one person talks about it, and it's fun, and we're all old enough to buy this stuff now, so you could buy it. Spending $30 a card is not crazy money, so you could buy it, and you could have this card. And uh, and if it turns up is a $30 card today, and it's a $100 card in a year from now, oh, I just made money on it. And it seems like the cards keep going up and up and up, and people are worried about, oh, is the, the bubble going to burst? Is, is it going to burst? One a hundred dollar card is not gonna pop one day. The buzzer, no, that's a dollar dollar card. It's not gonna just go from a hundred to a dollar, a thousand to a. It's it may slowly trickle down a little bit. It may go to a seventy five dollar card. It may go to maybe even a fifty dollar card. But then it could also go right back up to a two hundred dollar card, depending on who it is and you know who this person is and what they do. So it's it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean,
2: wait, like you said with PSA grading, Danny and I were grading cards. I would say maybe four or five years ago and you know a 60-day submission so basically when you submit the card it would be 60 days until you got the card back fully graded back then it was pretty true to you know the time i mean it was within 65 days or 62 days it was pretty close now psa actually has shut down until july 1st uh, except for just really high-end uh quick turnaround cards because their backlog is currently 10 million cards. So, you know, and it was just a couple of years ago where, you know, Danny and I would go, would go to our local cards, you know, shop or a uh, card show at, you know, Hofstra university on long Island or, you know, somewhere in New York, submit these cards and get them back two months later. Now there are cards that Danny had sent in with Paul, I guess it was four, five or six months ago. And we have no clue when we're getting those back. So it just goes to show you that we're really into the thick of it now. And all those people that have those cards sent in at, to PSA, they're not going to allow the market to go backwards because they're still waiting for their cards. So I think this thing is just, like I said, it's just, I just want to add
0: one more thing. I was, I helped out out filth bomb breaks doing the PSA submissions, which I want to say at a six month period, we sent in, let's just say hypothetically 5,000 cards, maybe even 10,000 that card. Let's just say 10,000. Out of those cards, I was doing baseball and I kept seeing Boba Bichette, Boba Shet, Acuna, Acuna. And, I, and those are the cards I'm sending in too, but I see dozens of them. And I, I've seen so many Zion Williamsons and John Moran cards get sent in. The market, those are going to come back. The market is going to be flooded with those cards. And they'll be tens. They'll still be worth some money, but they will be flooded. Did I see wrestling cards? I want to say out of that 2%, maybe. Let's just say maybe. And I'm talking to the three guys that I saw myself david johnny still hasn't dusted off his wallet to send a card in yet but danny <laughs> like and very little some from the major wrestling figure group that like said yeah i send it in for me but very very little the only wrestling cards i did see was the cardinal game when that took off i saw like let's just say five of the rocks all beat up cards get sent in but as the market booming i still think wrestling's a little bit behind i don't think um it's starting to catch up people are starting to get wind but they're buying those high-end cards i don't think people are investing in like the rookies of today or where the roman reigns card that i want to say a few months ago you could buy his rookie card like five dollars maybe now it's like a thirty dollar card so that's starting it's starting to pick up a little bit where the wrestling i think the wrestling is just still at the tip where other sports people are sending in they know to send in all the, all the basketball rookies. The Lonzo Ball, everybody's sending him in right now. So basically, people are opening up packs of cards, putting them in penny sleeves, and sending them out right away. But I think wrestling still uh, – you can still buy your cards for pretty cheap, and hopefully they get a high grade, and you can sell them later for a lot more. or You can keep it for your collection.
1: One thing that I keep hearing through our conversation is we keep talking about this Rock Cardinal game, and we keep talking about these other things. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Obviously, I've heard you all talk about what I'm about to ask you on the Card Foundation podcast, but for the benefit of the listeners who are maybe checking you all out for the first time, let's talk about how the collecting game has changed because how I've always viewed the collecting game is trading cards, traditional trading cards, Tops, Bowman, Upper Deck, I mean, these these very brand-identified, established trading card companies that was a standard. That's what a quote unquote real trading card was. Now it's kind of like the wild West. So Paul, you've mentioned these cardinal trading cards. Uh, they're from the, the WWF trivia game from 1997. They're literally their cards in a board game that people are sending in. And if they get a high grade, a nine or a 10, they're then taking them to the secondary market and selling them for hundreds to, thousands of dollars. My question for you all is where do you each individually weigh in on what is a real trading card? What isn't? Again, the market is determining right now that pretty much it's the wild west and anything goes, but you individually specifically, me personally, I don't count the cardinal trading card because in my opinion, it's not a real card it's not a in the form of a traditional trading card but i want to know where you all land on this i'm on the same page as you i
3: i think that it, psa made a big mistake and some of these other grading companies of counting these cards as cards so if they're deeming it acceptable to grade and send back an honor as a trading card you know everyone seems to count it i just think that you know whether it's a you know, a Cardinal card or some of those like playing cards with the Undertaker, with the nine of clubs or whatever it is on it. I just, in my heart, I can't count that. I believe that, like you said, it should be a tops, an upper deck, a Panini, an established manufacturer producing cards. And then on top of that, is it pack pulled? How did you obtain the card? Because in the Cardinal game, it's not like some boxes had the Undertaker. Some boxes didn't. Some boxes had Kane. It's it came with everyone. So it's established what was already in the box to use as a playing game. You know, so it's like people started sending in these rocks and everyone crazy. I actually helped discover the 1997 Panini rock card, which is the sticker. So in my opinion, I actually count stickers because stickers have been established as essentially a trading card since the 80s. Panini has been making stickers and they still do today that you could pull out of a pack. It's individually numbered, so there could be a rock card. It's card number 11 of the set, whereas the Cardinal game it's just like, all right, well, you got a picture of the rock on it. It's a card, so that's not always true, so I'm on the same page as you. I don't think the bubble is going to burst, though. I think it's still going to be the Wild Wild West for a long time, where if something grades a 10, no matter what, people are going to want it because they want that gem mint condition. It's rare, so... You know, you could have like the 1991 WCW Chromie cards. They Those are cards that weren't even in the United States. They're in a foreign language and it's some of the most valuable in the hobby because they're extremely rare. And if it's a PSA 10 people want it.
2: Yeah. And I think Danny definitely hit the nail on the head when it, when it comes to the Cardinal game, I think what makes these cards valuable are the condition. So, know and i know paul could definitely attest to this because he's seen a bunch come in these cards typically from what we could see the condition isn't great mostly because a people had them and played with them as as like a board game so whether it's a dinged corner or the card is bent or i mean they weren't people weren't taking these cards back then putting them into top loaders and penny sleeves and putting them in a in a safe spot they were whether they were playing the game or they were just you know throwing them around but the centering was also an issue. And that's something that, you know, I I know a lot of people have sent that card in and the guy that sent in a bunch of those cards thinking he's got, you know, a couple of thousand dollars, he doesn't want to hear that it's not a trading card because, you know, obviously he has, you know, money invested into this. But I think what's going to make that card valuable down the road is the higher grade. So the PSA 9s, the PSA 10s, those are what are going to be considered the more rare, more valuable card of the 90, 1997 Cardinal Game Rock. And we're about seven to nine or ten months away from having the market completely flooded with them. Because I think, like what Paul said, everyone, once that first one sold, everyone sold that saw that sold listing and ran back to their parents' house or their own house or their attic or their basement, trying to figure out if they still had it. And, I mean, we're seeing sealed copies of the game sell into the thousands now because people are assuming, okay, well, I know the card is in there. It's not a trading card. So I know it's a guaranteed card in the set. But then they're opening the set and the card is just not in a good condition because it's centered horribly. So it's it's a tricky game with those cards.
0: Yeah, I agreed with I agree with, agree with every, everything everybody's saying. Um definitely not a real card, but I'm a hypocrite. I sent like three myself to I I legit <laughs> am one of those people that went to get it as quickly as possible and get it out as quickly as possible because you know that but why not take that opportunity yeah. I mean
3: you'd be silly if but, you didn't honestly and then
0: now I have to wait six months you know eight months for it to come back to PSA is, I but I'm one of those people that knows it's not a ten I just look at the car I go this is not I don't think I'm sitting on a gold mine here I think I'm sitting on like a seven or eight but those should still sell pretty pretty good. Then I saw started seeing all the cards come in from other people and I go, Oh shit, this one's a better condition than mine. So now I'm like, ah, great. There's gonna be a lot of these cards out. So um I, I think they should not have counted them as cards, but once you count one, you gotta count them all. And money talks, and who cares? You know, you think who cares if you think it's a card or not? I just sold it for a thousand dollars. I don't really care what you think. So that's the people's mentality. Yeah, and
2: I think that's yeah. that's it. I mean and that's like I said, there's there's a guy out there that sends in a bunch of these cards. He doesn't care if it's considered a trading card or not. He's making money on it. And it's a board game. You know, it's like the same thing with a sticker. Look at the, the 1997 Panini Rock sticker. Easy
3: with what you say now. With no, no, sticker. no.
2: No. <laughs> no, it's, it's, but this is the truth. This sticker six months ago, you know, some people had them, but they were relatively affordable. You know, no one was really actively looking for them. And then all of a sudden, Now we're at the point where the first PSA 10 was sold. There's only two PSA 10s in the world, both held actually by the same person. And the card sells for over $30,000 at auction. Now all of a sudden it's, well, you know, the the traditional, oh, it's not a baseball card. It's not, you know, on card stock. It's a sticker. Well, $30,000 speaks volumes. And I don't think many people care as long as they had the actual card. And it's in a good condition. That's what so. right. you got
0: to beat the people to the market. Like the first guy that did that is a genius. The first guy that sent that that card in is a he needs all the credit in the world because he created this market. He did this himself, and he sold it well. Who's going to reap the most benefits? The second guy that has it because now that card sold for thirty thousand. Next guy can sell it for thirty five, and then it'll tip peak out and then it'll start drizzling down. I I'm trying to stay ahead of the game myself. I try to think of stuff people aren't sending in. I sent in um the. Hulk Hogan ice cream bar card that you got with the ice cream bar. I bought for, from somebody online for like 15 bucks. I didn't see anybody else send, you know, sending them in a PSA. So I sent one in. It's in pretty good condition that you got with the, the good, was it good, good humor that made them? I don't even know who made them, but I sent them one of those. So you have to be kind of one of the first ones to, to think outside the box. And that's why we started collecting wrestling cards. This is a step in a different direction where everybody's collecting Zion Williamson. I'm collecting uh. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock.
2: Well, it was actually uh, the Major Wrestling Figure podcast that put out an, a bonus episode with Darren Ravel, who is a sports slash investor personality. And I, I'm someone who's followed Darren Revell over the last couple of years, so being a fan of both his and the Major Wrestling Figure podcast, it was you know a match made in heaven for me. So, after diving into that episode, it was like, wow, this is you know brilliant. He's basically saying. If everybody else is sending in Zion, what's people? what are people going to want 10, 15 years from now that maybe they didn't send in or is more of a rare item? Now everyone's pulling out ticket stubs and stuff like that. It, to me, it's all fun. You know, the collecting community, regardless of what it is, if it's trading cards, if it's memorabilia, we're all, you know, in this community and we're collecting different things and showing everybody and sending it in and trading and selling and it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's great. It's great to be involved
1: in every aspect of it. I'm fascinated. I love the discussion and, and look full disclosure. If I was sitting on a stack of those Cardinal game cards of the rock. Yeah. I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world. I'd be sending them in, getting <laughs> them graded and then flipping them and buying yep. that house in, in Florida that Paul wants me to have. <laughs> All right. Here's what we're going to do. fellas. I, I need your opinion and I need your brain power. So this is going to prove that I listened to the product as Paul likes to say. So I'm listening to last week's episode and we're talking about the 1991 undertaker rookie card, the studio shot, which is the one that I count. That's the, I mean, they're all technically rookies, but the studio shot, that's the one that you want. Yes. Here's the deal. I'm not in this from a sentimental perspective. I'm in this to make some money. I'm going to lay it all out for you. My wife, Probably isn't listening to this, so I shouldn't catch too much heat for this.
0: <laughs> hey, I listened to, I listened Paul, to her. I so spent... She better listen to mine.
1: So, <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. I spent $205 shipped on this sealed box of 1991 Classic. I got tired of getting sniped with three seconds left at 150, 160. I found a, a 205 buy it now shipped done i'm tired of playing this game i listened to the episode last week talked about some of those 91 undertakers that have been to psa and back you know the eights and the nines are selling you know i think that i think you said the nine sold for was it 800 or you know upwards of a thousand dollars the eight sold for you know four or five hundred you know something along those lines right here here's where i'm at PSA shut down. We've we've established that they're shut down until at least July. They have a ten million card backup. I've got you know, point zero 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 one percent of that ten million waiting, as you know, does a lot of other people. They still have the express option, three hundred and fifty dollars to get a card graded. Paul, what's the turn time on that? I'd say
0: a month. I'd say a month to be fair, but yeah, I'd say about a month.
1: All right, so let, let's think about this. I'm 200 bucks in for the set. That got me the card. If I pay the Express, the 350, and, and again, I have, the box is sealed. I have not cracked this box. This Undertaker could be so off-centered that it wouldn't even be worth grading. So I have two options. One, I can roll the dice. I can slice the box, pull the card, and we see what we're working with. If it's good that it's worth getting graded, I could spend the $350, send it into PSA by, you know, summertime, hopefully get it back. If it grades high and the value either stays where it's at or even appreciates, I can make some money or other side of the coin. If I slice that box and I pull that card and it's, I mean, look, is it, completely 50% centered off the card. No, but it, it could be wildly off centered that it wouldn't even be worth grading. And I'd pretty much be looking to try to recoup my money just by selling the whole set. What, what am I going to do, fellas? A- am I going to, am I going to roll the dice? Am I going to slice this box? I'm going to pony up the money, send this card in and see what we get or hold it for a little bit, keep the box sealed and just give it some more time. I Where do you all stand on this?
3: I think it's simple. I think you hold. And the reason for that is you could analyze this in a couple different ways. If you hold the box sealed and you bought it for 200 by July or August, you can now check to see what that box is worth again. If it's around the same price, you know confidently that PSA is open. I could crack it. I'm not going to, you know, kill myself for oh the box only went up 100 bucks. If the box became $1,000, now it's, Okay, we're on to something where maybe I should leave this sealed even more long term. Or if it's still 200, hey, I could crack it. I'll get the Undertaker. I'll send it in at that lower value. And you could send it in for, you know, obviously the PSA pricing is probably going to be the same. It'll be between 25 and 30 bucks. So you could send it in. You could wait. And someone like the Undertaker, I don't see his value going anywhere. He's so popular in the world of wrestling that he's in that top five, top 10. And that's proven to be a card that has continued to rise. So, you know, if people are sending in the same cards and they're not in the best condition and they're pulling five, six and sevens, you're still safe because it makes the eight, nine and ten even more elusive. So that's the route you could go. And on top of that, that Undertake card isn't the only card in that set that could draw money. All it takes is a Hogan card, a Savage card, Ultimate Warrior. Now, all of a sudden, when you start sending in the stars as well, on top of that, you know, if you keep chipping away and selling the Hogan card for 100 or 200, the Savage for 100 or 200, you start building on some good money where
2: the Undertaker is the icing on the cake. I would say to keep it sealed, I'm going to steal a line from our friend Paul here. Sealed wax is king. You can never go wrong with it. My opinion, it's like what Danny said, there's a chance that that box goes even higher in value. People love the they love the chase and they love the fact that, you know, especially with unopened wax, people love knowing the card is in there, but not knowing what the condition is and thinking it could be, you know, they could be striking gold. So I mean, I've seen you've seen it in other parts of the hobby. I know people that have spent four or five, six hundred dollars on a pack of like nineteen seventy nine peachy hockey. Just trying to pull the Wayne Gretzky out of a pack because they know if they pull that card out of the pack, there's a you know better chance, not a, not a hundred percent, but there's a there's a good chance it's in pack condition. It you know it's never been touched by a human hand. You know the corners may be more crisp, but the centering is something you can't control. But you know I know people that have done that, just taking the chance at pulling that card pack fresh. I think this set has the chance to be something like that. You know, I have, I think I have said it on the show before that this set I have in I made an offer on about a year ago, and it was like thirty mm-hmm. bucks or thirty five bucks, and I turned it down because I wanted it for like twenty eight or twenty seven. I was playing the penny game, and I mean, I you never stop playing. I regret that I, that I still play today <laughs> to some extent, but I wish I would have pulled the trigger. But at the time they were all selling between 25, 30, you know, so I was like, eh, I want it a little cheaper. I'm being picky, whatever. I'm not going to, I'll find one eventually. And it never went down from there. So like we said earlier with this hobby, especially wrestling, I think things are only going up. I like the, the steeled wax move.
0: I agree. I wanted to go first. So it was my idea, but Danny jumped, jumped ahead (laughs) of me there, but got to keep, got to keep it sealed. Keep it. What's the next relevant thing the Undertaker's going to do is probably going to be his Hall of Fame, and when he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, that would yeah. be the next relevant thing he does. And then when PSA is back open, you don't want to turn a two hundred dollars. Let's just say it's you're in you're in it right now. Let's say two ten with taxes. Now two ten into three fifty, so that's five sixty. You're in you're in on this box to open it up, and I'm the only one that's actually opened the box here. And not only have to worry about centering on the back. There's like splotches. There's like black. Almost like mold, it looks like on the back of some of these cards. Now you have to worry about that. So you open up that box, and you don't have to send it into PSA. But once you do open up that box, you do have to send it to PSA. Or if it's that bad, you you just right. flip it. You just put okay, it's that bad. Put it back in. You just you try to make one fifty to one eighty on it. But I would just hold. And if you, as I. I'm guilty of, I wish I bought three. I bought two. I bought one to pull out every card I wanted to get graded. and I sent them to get graded. I thought to myself, let me buy another box just to hold and keep sealed. And I bought it at $80. And now like you said it's up at $205. And that was, that was under a year ago. I can get you the exact date later, but that was under a year ago. Now it's at 205 So I only think that's going to go up higher and higher. And once some tens start coming out and those are selling for high, people are going to want the sealed box. But keep it sealed for now and then wait till PSA opens back up. You could send it in at let's just say $60. It's not going to kill you, but sending it at like 350, it's you're you're knee deep on in that card. You don't want to lose money. And there this set actually is on the radar
2: of some investors. You know, I know Gary V has tweeted and and posted about this set. He actually did so I want to say 8 9 months ago, and that actually caught the attention of Matt Cardona who spoke about it on the Major Pod show. And then I got my interest and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, as a card collector, I'm going to, I want to see what this is about. I was too cheap and didn't pull the trigger, but I know he did. And I know a lot of people saw Gary V's posts. If you know, for those who don't know, Gary V is another Darren Ravel type, you know, investor. He posts about different, you know, cards and, and collectibles and stuff and he it's on his radar. So, you know, they, these sets are starting to gain a lot of traction. It, this, these cards are starting to become part of the news. You know, we saw that with the recent uh, The Rock card that sold for $30,000. Everyone was talking about that. That's, that's a card now from 1997. There are cards from the 80s that are starting to really
1: jump. So I would say definitely hold it. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, you've convinced me, fellas. I'm going to hold for now. We'll, uh, we'll give it a few months and we'll see what happens. We're almost to the finish line here. I did go to the Patreon-exclusive Major Wrestling Figure Podcast Facebook group to ask for some questions. Have a couple of good ones here. Someone that I am pretty familiar with, Owen Anderson, asks, what are some specific cards or talent people should be looking to get in on from an investment perspective?
0: In wrestling or
1: just? Yeah, wrestling specific.
0: Um... Bianca Belair. Yeah. Rhea Ripley. Good, good looking, talented. They excelled in NXT. They're only going to do big things <laughs> in, in wrestling. I'm big into investing in women wrestlers. I think they sell high. A lot of people like them. And uh, yeah, I've been saying Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. Again, if you were invested in them a year ago, they're champion. They're both champions right now. They won at WrestleMania. So that's what I, I kind of look for. Roman Reigns for sure. My suggestion, yeah, it would kind
3: of be what talent could you see being successful outside of pro wrestling for anything? Acting, maybe they make the news for something. That's something to definitely consider. For me, a lower name that really no one thinks about is Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods' YouTube channel has over 2 million subscribers. He's ultra popular in the gaming community. If cards continue to blow up the way they do, and now all of a sudden gamers want to get into cards. The first wrestling figure they're get, or first wrestling persona they're going to think of is Xavier Woods. So someone like him, Roman Reigns has been in movies. Sasha Banks has been in the Mandalorian. When you start thinking in terms of that and who could obtain the success, Charlotte Flair is another one. I think she's going to be on a TV show on, on a network. So, you know, when they start getting national exposure, more eyeballs
0: are on them. Those are the cards you want to buy in. And yeah, wrestling is the best. If you like somebody, chances are other people like him, too. Damian Priest, I, I never saw him yeah. before. I saw him, oh, he's pretty good. He's a big guy doing some bow and arrow stuff. I go, his rookie card. I bought a lot for like <laughs> five rookie cards for ten dollars. That's that's wrestling collecting right now. Next thing I know, he's Bad Bunny's best friend. He's in the next movie. You don't know, but if you like somebody, chances are other people do too. And just go buy a few cards there. It's not gonna break the bank and just hang on to him. And if it does, you, you're out ten bucks. Who cares? Juan Miguel
1: Rosa asks what is each of your holy grail cards from each of your personal collections and we'll keep it wrestling specific.
2: So a Oof. grail that we want or something that we have currently, both. Okay.
0: I'll go yeah. cuz I know what I have is is pretty easy. I have a PSA 8 signed Kurt Hawkins card and like I spoke about it before. He wrote on the sticker before anybody else was doing this. And I want to say in like 2007 or 2008, he wrote PMC on his Kurt Hawkins sticker. And it got put on a, a Topps Platinum card out of 99. And I later found that on eBay. I think actually he found it on eBay purchased for me and I just got it graded. So uh, that's cool. How, what are the chances of me finding it and all that things happen? So that's that's my favorite card I have right now in wrestling.
3: Yeah, for me the the card that I was searching for for a while and for a while, I mean, maybe like a month was the 1997 Panini Rock sticker card that just sold at auction for 30 plus thousand. So, kind of discovering that and then buying the box. So I bought the box for 200 and pulled the card, looks in great condition. So, if it's an 8, 9 or 10, you know, that's that's a big achievement to get that card and buy as low as I did and then Papa Bear taking my advice and buying five boxes for just a few hundred and having some that he could send to PSA, having some that he could leave sealed in the box because now the box is selling for over a thousand fifteen hundred bucks. So that was a current grill for me. And then one that I would love to have one day that I don't have now is the 1982 wrestling all stars Rick Flair in a PSA 10, which has become an astronomically priced wrestling card as well probably one of the top vintage cards that you could find and that's rick flair's rookie card so getting that in mint condition that would be the dream come true because who doesn't love the nature boy
2: yeah so my uh my current you know kind of highlight of my collection and again i don't not a high-end collector but uh my bret hart rookie card is something that i really cherish and he's my favorite wrestler. And it was something that I just, I knew I needed to have as a card collector He's my favorite guy. So it's not in the greatest condition. It's not a 10 or, or anything like that. Not going to send it in. It's something that I would never sell it. It's going to stay in my box and, and um, just something that I know I have. And I would say my grail is it's not necessarily one card. So in wrestling, my, I would say my favorite promotion of all time is ECW. I, love ECW and most of my wrestling collecting has kind of shifted towards ECW. So I would say the 1997 cards that came in the Japanese VHS tapes, that would be like my Holy grail to get the whole set of those cards, all PSA graded, you know, 10 would be amazing, but it's not the end of the world if it wasn't. Um, But for those who don't know in 97 ECW, their VHS tapes that were released in Japan had trading cards in them. And the cards are all in Japanese. They feature guys like Sabu and Taz. And there's, I think, maybe five, six, seven of them. And I would want the whole set complete, graded. That
0: would be my, my grail. And my grail my grail in the future card doesn't even exist yet. When Kurt Hawkins gets his next, or Brian Myers, sorry, Brian Myers gets his next uh, set of cards, he's going to write Papa Bear on it. And I got to go get that card. That's my next He's already promised you that. I put that out there, and it's going to happen. He's promised you that. No, no, I haven't spoken to him about that. No, I haven't spoken to him about that. But he, he will do it. Of course he will. Of course (laughs) he will.
1: Well, I can't argue with any of those. Well, actually, real quick, if you had a grill, what's your grill? Oh man, I tell you what, mine, and it's crazy because when I say it, people are going to be like, "Really? You would, you would pick that?" the The story I shared, it would be that 1987 tops. WrestleMania three insert card, the giant is slammed just because, and I, when I say grail, like I want a PSA 10 because to me, when anybody asks me, well, what got you into wrestling and and why do you like wrestling so much? I always go back to WrestleMania three Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant. I mean, for me, that's why I'm sitting here tonight talking to you guys, because if I didn't discover Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania three, i i wouldn't be sitting here doing this so to me that card is just it's one that every time i, I see it i look at it i'm instantly taken back to the moment i can remember watching wrestlemania 3 for the first time so for me it's it's definitely on my bucket list that I, I need to get a psa 10 of of this card at some point
3: let's make it happen people if you have that card send it over to dca and let's let's make it work
1: I like well it. fellas i, like I uh again the Card Foundation podcast, my new favorite podcast of 2021, uh, day one subscriber before Paul even came on board. And I guess real quick as we wrap up. So obviously when, when the Card Foundation podcast started, it was just the Credit boys. And very early on, Papa Bear jumped in. So quickly, give us a story on how Paul came to be the anchor of the Card Foundation podcast. We
3: have to give him the credit, so...
2: Well, Paul came into our life. Yeah. So Paul came into our life from the, <laughs> our other podcast, our sister podcast called looking. So when we were, you know, posting about that show and, you know, thankfully we've had a lot of support from the guys at the major wrestling figure podcast and uh, more particularly Brian Myers and uh, Paul being <laughs> Brian Myers' friend, we, they best friend, best friend. <laughs> I'm sorry, best friend, Um, that's kind of how Paul found us was through him and, you know, Paul was getting back into card collecting. So we would go back and forth and DMing and he'd send us cards, you know, should, should I buy this? Should I get this? We'd tell him yes or no. And then we found out about, you know, Paul being involved with filth bomb and, you know, Danny with the grading. So it was a friendship that kind of started from caught looking. And then when we started the card foundation, you know, Paul sent us a message basically saying, you know, I got to get on the show. Danny and I started going down the filth bomb, hanging out where, you know, showing cards, submitting cards. And we just figured, you know what, if we're having the, all these conversations outside of the podcast, whether it's through Instagram messaging or text messaging, we have our group chat. Why not sit every Monday night, we'll record it and we'll put it out. And it's been great having Paul on board. So it was a, a natural fit. If I had to say,
0: I remember it a little differently.
2: <laughs> oh,
3: here really, we go here we go really.
0: you sending me a message like please please join my podcast
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey please. i have the i have the proof i got the phone so yeah we stole
0: your idea and we need you on our podcast please please I'm like sure i'll <laughs> <laughs> see what i could
2: do give you kids the rub yeah yeah the, the talent <laughs> that's I what really Paul likes to call himself the talent. The talent of, of, yeah. the, of the card foundation
3: really it ended up being a good fit just because all three of us have a different style and perspective on collecting. You got Johnny, who is the personal collector. He's not an investor. He loves his collection. He'll never sell it. It's untouchable. And it's going to sit in his boxes for years to come
0: wrestlers. You don't even never heard of before.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> the die, the diehards and uh, the big time guys have. So for me, I'm like, I'm a value collector. I collect not necessarily to sell, but I want good value in my collection. So that way one day, if an opportunity presents itself, I have that card that I can make money on. I think it's a nice balance of investing, collecting. It makes me happy. It's the best of both worlds. And then pop bear is on the investing perspective, but also a lot of experience with grading a lot of experiencing with, you know, finding those low risk cards. And then all of a sudden they become red hot cards that people are sending in like the Cardinal game, for example, you know, he sent in a million of those. So that's something that he figured out early on that he was able to submit. So Having the dynamic between the three of us, it's you get every little thing on our show, and you don't even have to really be a wrestling collector. Papa Bear is just entertaining, and you know we we play off each other well. We like to have fun, so it's a it's a nice dynamic to have.
0: I agree.
1: Like I said, it it's my new favorite podcast of 2021, and Danny, you hit the nail on the head because. I love the podcast because it's that combination of everything it is. Yes. You talk about wrestling cards. There's a little bit of overlap with baseball and other things, but there's just some good natured ball busting and, and ribbing and, and, hmm it's just, it's, it's three guys sitting around talking about what's going on in the hobby. And it's, it doesn't feel like a, a, a scripted show or a, a, a formatted show. Yes, you have segments, but it's all very natural. It flows great. Uh, again, I, it's top of my rotation every Friday, you know, give me the Iggy when you guys get on Patreon and I can get <laughs> the, the episodes early and ad free like you can with everything else. But again, Card Foundation podcast drops everywhere on Fridays. Uh, Where can they find you guys on social media? Yeah, we're on Twitter. We're at card found pod and on
3: Instagram at card foundation pod. So thanks to Twitter for not expanding on characters that I could fit to have the same, you know, usernames, but yeah, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, anywhere else you download your favorite podcast. So, and again, we, we appreciate you listening. It's, it didn't matter if our show had one viewer or a million. We're just we love the fact that people want to tune in. We're giving them the best advice that we can. If hopefully they make a ton of money on it, that would be awesome for us just because we help that happen. But just to you know, have some fun, talk about wrestling, wrestling cards. And we really do thank every supporter that tunes into our show every week because, you know, it would just be a group group chat without it. So definitely appreciate you listening every week.
2: Yeah. And when you're, and when you tweet us or you send us a message on Instagram, it is Danny that is answering. I would say (laughs) 90% of the time. The other 10% is me and 0% from Paul, but that's okay. He contributes in other
0: ways. No, I sometimes answer. (laughs) People PM me all the time. But uh, if you guys gave me the password and if I was on in the beginning, I would have said it should be definitely Twitter and Instagram should be in exactly the same name. But you know, We tried that, yeah. yeah. And Tried, couldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't let that that happen. And then I know how you guys love talking to your one listener before I got there. But when I got there, we got a little bit bigger, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Did did I mention uh, the ball busting? This is what you get every (laughs) Friday, folks, when when you tune in. But again, guys, I, I know you still need to record your show for this week. I appreciate you making time for me. Again, the Card Foundation podcast drops every Friday. Danny, Johnny, Paul, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Commissioner. I appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks for having us.